Amen. So we're in James chapter 5, the last chapter uh, in James, and we're, we're at verse 13, and I'm just going to read 13 through 20, um, and then kind of come back and just, just re-examine it. So James 5, 13 through 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore. That means to save, to heal, deliver. That word sozo. The prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruits. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and we'll cover a multitude of sins. For his concluding instructions to a growing and a suffering church, James dwells on the matter of prayer with three key emphases. Would that be emphasi? With with emphasis of three. When to pray, how to pray, and why pray. Tonight, I am absolutely certain that I will get past when to pray. I'm hopeful that I can get past how to pray. And I'm absolutely certain that I will not get to why pray tonight. So you'll have to come back next week um, to get the why pray. Or you can spend time with God and he'll give you the entire message. And you'll still have to come back, but you'll just you know be there. Yeah. So when to pray. When to pray. Please pay attention to the three questions that James asks the church as well as to the answers that he gives in this passage. So verse 13, question number one, is anyone among you suffering? His answer. Then he must pray. Question number two, is anyone cheerful or encouraged? Answer, he has to sing praises. And the third question, is any among you sick? And the answer, he must call for the elders of the church. And they are to pray over him, anointing him with the oil, with oil in the name of the Lord. Prayer is one of the most defining traits and actions of one who professes to believe in Jesus. Friends, if we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, then prayer has to be one of the defining traits and consistent actions of our life. If I walk into a restaurant, crowded restaurant, how do I know who in that place professes Jesus? How do I know who prays or who who knows the Lord? I kind of give the answer away there. The one who prays. A group of people going, hey, let's pray. Let's just give the Lord thanks. Lord, we thank you for this food. We bless it, Lord. You're so good. I love that. I love being in a restaurant and seeing other people pray. 
Prayer is meant to distinguish us, to set us apart from the rest of the world. I believe that in a lot of ways, those type of prayer, and I know that not everyone is entirely comfortable in public prayer, but honestly, I think we should be. I think we should all get to that place because I think that public prayer, not for some weird reason to draw attention to ourselves, but for a holy reason to draw attention to God, it kind of serves as this bat signal to the world. It serves as this this distinguishable thing that there's something that's so real in them that they have a boldness to not keep it in and they make declaration to the world. James shows that he intends one point with his three questions. And that one point is this. Pray in every circumstance. Are you sad? Pray. Are you happy? Praise. Which is just putting your prayers into song. Are you sick? Let others pray for you. Are you depressed? Pray for yourself, then get others to pray for you. No matter what the circumstance, his answer that he is bringing forth is prayer is that solution. Prayer is the right action for every situation that we face in life, whether good or bad. James talks a lot about faith without works is dead. And he talks about being people of action. Friends, prayer is an action that should characterize our life. Pray in the times of trouble. The kind of trouble isn't specified. It was just a generic, are are you suffering? It was just a generic term. Friends, it's real easy that when we're in times of suffering and trouble, that God is interpreted as uncaring or unknowing or unable to help. And this is incorrect thinking and there's nothing that the enemy wants more than for us to think that our God does not care, does not know, does not hear and cannot help. In times of trouble, we are to pray. But in times of trouble, everything within us fights prayer. When we are suffering, the absolute hardest thing to do is pray. Does anybody, has anybody grown to that point of maturity where that you are past that? Because it's still the flesh and the enemy just bring this attack where it's like, I want to do, I want to fight, I want to defend, I want to preserve. But we're to press in and pray in times of suffering. We don't pray less The biblical instruction is the opposite. It's pray more. Trouble is the time to pray more, not less. Two, pray in times of happiness. Once again, no single cause for happiness is listed. It just says, is anyone cheerful or is anyone encouraged? Friends, in times of happiness, it's easy to become complacent to become forgetful of God's goodness. To become comfortable. And in those settings, we pray less. We, get, we just get content and we just forget to acknowledge God and to give thanks and give praise. And we pray less. Once again, the biblical instruction is the opposite. It says, pray more. Are you happy? Are you encouraged? Are you cheerful? Praise Him. Praise Him. 
Happiness is the time to sing praises to our King. Three, pray in time of sickness. Once again, there's a particular disease mentioned. No. Just weak or sick. We feel easily defeated in times of sickness. Weakness makes us feel hopeless and weary and uninspired. And the biblical outlook, once again, is is completely opposite. There's something very important that we're supposed to do, and that is pray. Pray more. Weakness is the time to pray to our healer and our deliverer. I could be very redundant right now to make a key point that I don't want anyone in this room to walk out without grasping. Pray. Pray. In every circumstance, pray. Christians, pray. Christians, pray. Young people, Christians, pray. Old as dirt people, Christians, pray. People, Christians, pray. They pray for themselves. They pray for others. They pray just in dialogue with the Lord. Christians, pray. Uh, Thursday. Me and Kara, Tiffany is our church admin. She does a wonderful job. Thank you, Tiffany. Me and Kara and Tiffany had a meeting over at a coffee shop. And uh, they know us pretty well over there. And so they, they closed the doors. It was closing time. But they allowed us to kind of, they said, we're, we're going to be doing different tasks, shutting down. The doors are locked. But, you know, you can stay for 45 more minutes, whatever you need. So we stayed for like 45 more minutes. Um, so we stayed late. And um, when we were wrapping up, the, the woman came over and she said, all right, you know, well, um, you, are you guys done? And we're like, yeah, we're done. And she said, okay, you know, thanks for coming in. And we just asked her, hey, do you need prayer for anything? I mean, you heard us over here planning to talk about church, talk about the Lord. Do you need prayer for anything? Is there anything that you need us to agree with God about in your life? And she did. She had, she had a prayer request for her family and for something they were going through. So I just stood up and I just put my hand on her shoulder and I just prayed for her. Prayed God's goodness, his faithfulness, his comfort. Tangible touches from the Lord where they would know they're not alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. When I opened my eyes, she had tears flowing down her cheeks to the point where she just was looking for something to wipe them away. I just gave her a hug. I don't hug every barista, but you know, this one. (laughs) Gave her a hug and said, we're going to keep praying for you. God is good. God is faithful. And and he's going to let you see his comfort in this difficult time. You guys, Christians, pray. Christians, pray. What a quick and easy way for this woman to feel the instant touch from the Lord by me just asking, can I pray for you? Read this. Read read James 5, 13 through 18 again and again and again. He uses the word pray like every other word. Every verse is pray. Sometimes he's listing it twice in the verse. His encouragement to the church as he wraps up this letter to them is pray, pray, pray. You're happy, pray. You're sad, pray. You're sick, pray. 
how to pray. How to pray. Verse 14, Is any one among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will sozo, will save, will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. James proceeds to instruct his readers, to instruct his friends, the church, how to pray. His purpose is still to motivate them to pray, but now by offering them a how, he gives some very practical instruction on how he expects prayer to operate in the local church. Church, this is for us, okay? I know sometimes when when you know people are preaching, you know, our, our mind can wander and this is for us. We can't miss this. This is for us. This instruction on how prayer is supposed to operate and function in the local church is for us. Five different practices are listed here in two verses and giving in a picture for effective prayer in the life of the local church. And we're going to go through all five of them. Verse 14, Is any among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him. So number one, we should call upon the elders of the church for prayer. Now I want to point out something very obvious here. It takes faith to call upon anybody for prayer. Because when we're in that time of need, the last thing we want to do is call upon someone from prayer. We want to tough it out or we want to ride it out or maybe we're okay with praying for ourselves. But it's actually an act of faith to reach out to anybody saying, I need prayer. Can you pray for me? Please pray for me. The fact that the sick person calls for help demonstrates faith. And faith is an essential part of prayer. I want to make this point abundantly clear. Having the elders pray for you is not about spiritual gifts of the elders. Having elders pray for you is not about the spiritual gifts of the elders. James is not advocating a type of hierarchy for who prays for you. This is about trustful vulnerability to God, submission to God's plan to use the local church, including its leaders. And this is about unity in the church. There's no indication about a specialized gift in this passage, that that's the reason the elders are called upon. Friends, if you need prayer, you call upon any faith-filled believer of Jesus who will pray with you, who will agree in prayer. But James is making a point here about the, the fact that in the local church, there better be vulnerability. There better be vulnerability. There better be unity. There better be trust. And there better be availability. Okay? We've got to read between the lines sometimes. When we are called to pray, friends, we've got to be available. Pastors, when we're called, we've got to be available. But church, that goes for all of us. And sometimes it's not just when that person calls you. We've got to be available to not miss the signs from the Holy Spirit and to go, that person needs prayer. I'm going to pray for him. 
I prayed in crazy settings. And times it's wonderful. And times I feel stupid. And times I get looks like you're a moron. But that's okay. That's okay. My, my, I'm, not, I'm not the writer of this. My job is to be obedient in prayer. Your job is to be obedient in prayer. But we've got to be available. James envisions a spiritual power that is available to the church, exercised through the leaders, but it's not centered around the leaders. Does that make sense? It's, it's available and exercised through them, but it's not dependent upon them. Once again, no spiritual weird hierarchy. And I have to say that, guys, because a lot of churches have this weird hierarchy thing. God bless them. You know, just where the, there's one man and he wears a really expensive suit and I, I, I've never, I, I imagine a lot of cologne too. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. I've never met, you know, but just a lot of cologne. It's like, whoa. And that one guy is the person that the church revolves around, not Jesus Christ. That one guy is that the church thrives or fails based on that one guy. And that's not, that's not scriptural. And that's not what James is advocating. I just need to make that point clear. James doesn't make this point about calling the elders to diminish the importance of personal prayer by every Christian. It is to affirm the value of agreement in the church. Friends, I'm not going to say it enough. We, we have to value prayer. Prayer has to be fruit of our life. How many times have we prayed so far tonight? We, we prayed all throughout worship, whether in song or, or through prayer. We prayed for our teens. We, we gave prayers of thanks for those that supported our teens. We prayed dedication over Audrey. We, we prayed over the parents. We prayed God's faithfulness. We, we prayed to start this. I mean, before we're all said and done, there's going to be eight to ten instances of prayer just in our service. How much more so should prayer be a part of our life? Jesus promised that agreement, agreement, among the church, among Christians, would unleash power for answered prayer. Matthew 18, 19 and 20 says this. This is Jesus speaking. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. You guys, agreement in prayer unleashes the power of God. The first practice of prayer, we should call upon the elders of the church. The second, we are to pray under the power of the Holy Spirit. James 5.14 Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him doing what? Anointing him with oil. Whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, oil is always representative of two things. Healing and the power of the Holy Spirit. And here we see this instruction. They're sick. Let them call the elders to pray over them and anoint them with the power of the Holy Spirit to anoint them with oil. Friends, we are to give the Holy Spirit a place in our life. I understand that it's just normal that in our church service we talk about the Father an awful lot and we talk about the Son an awful lot. We, we give glory to Jesus. The Bible says the Father gave Jesus the name that's above all names. So it's, it's, it's okay that we give Jesus such a dominant place in our service and we acknowledge him and we glorify Jesus because Jesus just fully represents the love of the Father. But friends, the Holy Spirit is not 
the, the red-headed stepchild in this relationship. The Holy Spirit is not one that's less than. The Holy Spirit is just as needed in the Godhead as the Father and the Son are. And we see in this passage that the example of prayer in the church is that we are to give room for the Holy Spirit to move in power. Through the anointing with oil. The power of the Holy Spirit. Number three. We are to pray in the name of the Lord. Friends, can I encourage you with this? When we pray, let's use that name Jesus as much as we possibly can. So there's not a person that can confuse who we're praying to. What name we're praying in. We're praying in the name of Jesus. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Praying in the name of Mark will get you nothing and nowhere. And praying to a generic God will get you nothing and nowhere as well. But praying in the name and the character and the person and the authority of Jesus Christ, you will see results. The first practice, this is cool, we've gone through three of these practices so far. The first practice expressed submission to one another, including leaders in the local church. The second one expressed submission to the Holy Spirit and acknowledging His power. And the third practice expresses submission to the Lord Himself. Isn't that cool? This is not just a formula with which we're supposed to pray. But this is a state of how we should be praying. A state of submission. A state of faith. We are to pray in agreement and unity with Jesus Christ. How many times have we heard the, the word agreement and unity in this service tonight? How, how often do we hear that weekly? We're to pray in agreement and unity with Jesus Christ. Lord, what do you think about this? Lord, what do you think about this? What do you think about my plans? What do you think about what I'm doing here? Because I want to pray in agreement with you, Lord, and if you're not down, I ain't down. If you're not with it, then, then I don't want to ask for something that you're not in the, it's not your will. I want to come into agreement with you. I don't want you to just come into agreement with my plans. But to do that, guys, we've got to find out what God wants. We've got to, to be in agreement with Him. We've got to spend time with Him to know what He wants. We've got to spend time in His Word and in worship and in prayer to know His heart. When I, when I was praying for Audrey, I just simply asked God, Lord, what do you think about Audrey? Lord, what's on your mind about Audrey? What's on your heart about her? Just let me know what's on your mind. What do you think about Audrey? And he just started speaking these things. It's that simple. Lord, what, what's on your heart about this baby? Lord, what's on your heart about my family? What do you think about my family? Lord, what do you think about my children? Lord, what do you think about me? What's on your heart? How many, how many of us, if I can be honest, how many of, and we can be honest, because I'm, I'm, being, I'm being honest. I'm going to ask you to be honest. Um, how many of you guys could say, I, I don't pray that enough. I don't pray that enough. And maybe I've never prayed that. Raise your hand if you've never asked the Lord. Lord, speak to me what you, what you think about me. How you feel about me. Anybody? I see a few hands. He wants us to know what he feels about us, what he thinks about us, how much he loves us. He wants to pour out his affection and dote over us. 
It's a good question to ask, friends. Praying in the name of Jesus means that we should pray expecting great power. Friends, let's not call down the name of the king, of the, the, the general, the captain of heaven's armies and expect nothing. Let's not call upon the name of Jesus and call down his power and expect nothing. Let's expect God's goodness. Expecting God's goodness is unity. Expecting God's goodness is agreement. Once again, it shows that we are supposed to pray with faith. And that's point number four. We are to offer prayer in faith. Verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. This phrase is James' way to leave no confusion. Confirming the entirety of the point of his message. Faith. 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 Do you know that God honors the prayer of saying, Lord, increase my faith? Do you know that he honors that? He doesn't mock us for that. He doesn't look down upon us for that. To say, Lord, I feel like my faith is not strong. I feel like my faith is weak. I feel like my faith is small. But Lord, increase my faith. I want big faith. I want to believe for the same things you are. And I want to agree with you. And I know that you're huge and awesome and mighty. And so for me to agree with you, there's got to be an increase in my faith. Lord, increase my faith so that I can truly be in unity with you and agreement with what you want for me. Once again, that's a good prayer to pray, friends. The fourth principle for effective prayer is to pray united as repentant sinners, confessing sins to each other and praying for each other. James 5.16 Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. You see, the world deceives us. And here's how the world deceives us. The world deceives us by saying, a righteous man doesn't have any sin. The righteous man doesn't have any sin. And if he had sin, the last thing that sucker is going to do is go exposing himself and confessing that sin to other people. It's ridiculous. That's the lie of the world. That's the lie of the world. What does God say? What does His Word say? The prayers of a righteous man is greatly effective. That righteous man is one who is willing to say, pray for me. There's a weakness and a hurt in my life and there's there's a sin. And I, I want to confess it to you and I want to repent and go to the Lord. And I need prayer. I need healing. James reminds us that what makes a man righteous 
is repentance from sin and into the completed work of Jesus Christ. Repentance from sin and into the completed work of Jesus Christ. Confessing those sins to one another is simply proof of righteousness. It's proof of righteousness. It's proof that we're we're not making it about ourselves or our own righteousness, but we're making it about Jesus Christ. And that we've got a vulnerability with the church. We've got a trust with the church. And we've got agreement and unity with one another. You know what's cool? You know what this doesn't say? Confess your sins to the elders. That's what this doesn't say. It says confess your sins one to another. It doesn't say confess your sins to the lead pastor. It doesn't say confess your sins to a priest. It says confess your sins one to another. So that what? So that you might be healed. I love this part of James' letter. I love that he reminds the church, you've got to be people of prayer, but you've also got to be people of unity and vulnerability with Christ at the center. Not a single man, not a single anything except for Jesus Christ. I said it before, God's plan for the local church includes trustful vulnerability to God. It includes submission to God's plan to use His church and its leaders. And His plan is for unity among His church, among His people. Trustful vulnerability to God. Friends, I'm asking you to show this demonstration of strength to be trustfully vulnerable to our God. You can trust Him with your heart. You can trust Him with your hurts. You know, there's a story that broke my heart. I was reading a book years ago, decades ago now. It was the autobiography. It was the biography of Keith Green called No Compromise, and his wife wrote it. And it says that there was a time, this was in the 70s, that he was playing at a chapel service at ORU, and that's where I graduated from, or Roberts University in Tulsa. He was playing, and the power of God fell, and people rushed to the front and started confess- confessing their sins. And then there started to be pe- person after person getting up there and com- confessing fins of, sins of homosexuality. And the staff freaked out. The administration freaked out. And they didn't know what to do because all these... And then that led to other kids coming up and confessing different sin. And and the staff shut it down. They shut it down because they didn't know how to respond to such an outpouring of confession. And they thought they had to control it. Otherwise, it would make the school look bad or... Or it would get out of control. I don't, I don't know how that gets out of control, friends. I don't know how vulnerability to God gets out of control. Because we're not the ones in control anyway. And maybe that's exactly where it should be. is out of our control and into His hands. Confession of sins followed by repentance, followed by prayer, will be followed by healing. And that brings about the most effective result. And that most effective result is us being reminded that we have been made righteous by the blood of the Lamb. That most effective result 
is the annihilation of shame. That most effective result is a reminder that we are loved by God and cared for by God and provided for by God. This is interesting. It says that sometimes sin is connected to sickness. Not always. Sometimes. And James says, if there is sin among you. Sometimes sin is connected to sickness. And in the midst of that confessing of sin and repentance, we get healing. Does it make sense now? I mean, this is one of those scriptures that a lot of times we just kind of read past and don't let the Lord bring light to it. We know that it says in the Bible that if there's unforgiveness in our hearts, that our prayers will not be heard by God. Unforgiveness is a sin. But there's other sins that keep us from receiving healing. That's why it's important we run to God. Not to be our not to be our ATM. Okay, I need something from you. Okay. Although we do, we are needy. We do need plenty of things from Him. But to run because we know who He is and who we are in Him. James implies that physical illness and guilt could be connected. And he says that the cure is the sozo, the restoration of God. Uh, That word sozo, it's a Greek word, and it means saved, healed, delivered. And it's often used with the word saved. Anywhere in the New Testament where it says you you will be saved, everyone who calls upon the Lord shall be saved, shall be sozo. It speaks of a completed work of healing, of, of the physical and the emotional that we need. Healed. Saved. It speaks of the spiritual. Delivered from bondage, from oppression, from, from depression, from anything that has come against us. That's the work of Jesus Christ. That's the work of restoration. We are to pray as repentant sinners, asking for a comprehensive healing of our lives. And I want to remind us, God, guys, that God withholds no good thing from us. So when do we pray? In every circumstance. Happy, sad, sick, uncertain. Pray. Christians pray. We need prayer. And this is just the honest truth. This world needs for us to be people of prayer, friends. How do we pray? There's dozens of ways to pray. I don't want to pigeonhole. There's dozens of ways to pray. There's probably hundreds of ways to pray. But let's keep James' picture of prayer in mind when we do. With humble, godly submission to one another in the security and the unity of his church. With hopeful, faith-filled submission to the Holy Spirit and belief in his power. With living, grateful, thankful remembrance to Jesus Christ. And that when he was done, he was done. And he said, it is finished. And that there's nothing left for us to do to earn righteousness, but to come into agreement with the completed work of Jesus Christ.